0: Courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East.
1: Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to morningstarbooksandgifts.com. That's morningstarbooksandgifts.com. Then click on the art and decorative link and click on icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720. Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois.
0: Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And I want to say hello to all of you who are listening, especially in the Ohio area on Living Bread Radio, because you listeners have a wonderful opportunity as we come upon these high holy days of Christmas and theophany. You have a wonderful opportunity to experience the Eastern churches. The best way to experience the Eastern churches is to experience how we pray, how we worship, to attend a liturgy, a service during these wonderful holy days in our liturgical calendar. If you want to find out where there's a Byzantine church near you, just simply go to our Parkia website, which is parma.org. That's parma.org. So again, greetings to all of you, especially in the Cleveland area, my hometown, my motherland, listening to Living Bread Radio. This week in the Eastern Church's calendar, many Eastern Churches, is the week in which we focus on the ancestry of Christ. Now, we do this for two Sundays in a row. This particular Sunday, we focus on those that came before him that had to do with the revelation of the Bible, the covenant, in other words, of the law and the prophets. And we go all the way back to the beginning. And as always, when you want to know anything about us, the Eastern churches in particular, you look at how we pray. And this is one of the prayers that we say for this week of the ancestors, the the patriarchs, the forefathers of Jesus Christ. Come, O lovers of the feast, let us sing a hymn of praise to the assembly of the forefathers, Adam, the father of the human race, Enoch, Noah, Melchizedek, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let us honor those who come after the law, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, Samuel, and David together with Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, Daniel, and the 12 minor prophets. Likewise, Elijah, Elisha, and all the others. all Zechariah and the Baptists, and all those who preach Christ, the life and the resurrection of our race. So you see, it spans the entire Old Testament and up to the New Testament with those who were the, the prophets. In other words, the ones that carried the revelation, who foretold the coming of Christ. Now, next Sunday, the Sunday before the birth of Christ, we will again go back into Christ's heritage, but this time it'll be his family lineage, all the way from Adam, all the way to his foster father, Joseph, and of course, his earthly mother, the mother of God, or the Theotokos, as we call her in the Eastern churches, the God bearer. And so we have this sense of the incarnation happening in time and space and over time and happening in a very, very real way, where God incarnated himself so completely as to even, like us, have a family, have a heritage, have a patrimony, have an ancestry. And the church traces this ancestry both on the theological or revelatory level, the biblical level, and also on the human or biological level as well, in other words, with his very relatives. Now, speaking of relatives, and on this particular Sunday and next Sunday, since we're looking at the ancestry, the relatives, the patrimony of Christ, both theologically and familiarly, biologically, relationally, I'm also honored to have on our program today members of my own family. I welcome to Light of the East my brother Deacon, now Deacon Gregory Loya, and his wife Kathleen. Welcome to Light of the East. Glory to Jesus Christ.
2: Glory Lord. forever.
0: So Greg, my younger brother, Greg. I have three younger brothers, and Greg is one of them. Greg has recently become a deacon of the Byzantine Church. So Greg, tell me, why did you want to become a deacon? What, what was the process leading up to that? Did you wake up one day? Was it discernment over time? Or was it something that uh, you just was sort of gnawing at you for a while, something you thought of as a child? What, what was the discernment process?
2: I would say that over the years, because of my family's involvement with the church, that I came to a level in my life where I began to become not quite frustrated, but searching out something more. And I started to see some of the guys around me that were deacons. And I always thought maybe I would become one, but I was going to wait until my children got older. That wouldn't have been a very good decision because I still have a six-year-old now. And that I waited for her to get older, whatever that meant, I probably would have been too old to even join the program.
0: Now, you have a six-year-old. How many children do you have? Who's your oldest?
2: I have eight children. My oldest is 21, and my youngest is six.
0: (laughs) Great, beautiful family. Those, of course, are my nephews and nieces, proud to say. And I'm proud of my younger brother, Greg, for becoming a deacon. I feel like I have somebody kind of joining with me in the In in the ministry, in the the battle, in the spiritual warfare, and the sort of stepping up to help the church and to serve people, someone I can serve at the altar with, it's a real thrill for me. It's a real honor for me because Gregory and I, we come from what you would call a priestly family. In the Eastern churches, of course, they had the tradition where married men could become priests. So our family heritage on both sides of our family is a, a heritage of married clergy, our grandfather was a priest, our great-grandfather, etc., etc. We can trace it back 300 years on both sides of our family. And so the priests tended to come almost in bunches, as it were. or <laughs> The people in religious life came in bunches in our family. And so I now have a brother in the ministry along with me, and that is, of course, my brother Gregory, Deacon Gregory. Gregory, when you were being trained or formed to become a deacon. And this is a question that is often asked to me as a Byzantine priest when people ask me, especially our Latin Rite brethren, they want to know about us. They say, well, we have deacons in our church. Does those Byzantine church have deacons? I say, well, we certainly do. Deacons are very important. Their next question, of course, is what can a deacon do? What does a Byzantine deacon do? What can you do? What can you not do? And how, the, how might this be a little different than a Latin Rite deacon?
2: Well, historically, the deacons were there to help the bishops, and then the presbyters, the priests, came later. So some of the jobs that the deacons did were uh, kind of moved to to the priests. But even now, the deacon's role is to serve and to assist the priest and the bishop. Now, in the Latin Rite Church, I have a cousin who is a Latin Rite deacon, and he's able to do a couple of different things that I cannot do. One of them is perform a marriage ceremony. Mm-hmm. And that comes from the basic difference between how the blessing of the, the holy mystery, the sacrament of holy matrimony gets uh, to the couple. Mm-hmm. In the Latin rite, they believe that the couple uh, brings that to each other. In the Eastern Church, that comes from the priest. And the one thing the deacon can't do, the deacon can't do any sort of blessing. He cannot invoke the Holy Spirit, which is the biggest difference between a deacon and a priest. So something like that, which would, he would give the blessing of matrimony, a deacon in the Byzantine Church could not do.
0: And a deacon in the Byzantine church cannot baptize except like any Christian in emergency, right, right. whereas a Latin Rite deacon can, can baptize.
2: Absolutely. Again, with the same thing, that, that blessing is not coming from the deacon. And, but some of the things that we can do is we obviously we do an awful lot in the liturgy. Uh, the deacon in the Byzantine liturgy does quite a bit of work.
0: Yes, he's kind of like the workhorse, or the, and also he's like the workhorse and the sergeant arms at the same time. He's doing a lot of work around the altar and, and through the liturgy, and is also calling people to attention. Right, like we have the right. the famous uh, "Wisdom, be attentive." At the D. De- de-
2: There's de- a lot of that, and when you have people that are not Byzantine and come to our liturgy, they notice that one thing that we're always saying that. But you have to go back hundreds of years to where we had the liturgy in the Great Church of Hagia Sophia. These services were a little less structure than we have now. So the deacons were literally telling the people to pay attention, something's important, is coming Mm -hmm.
0: right now. Yes, a lot of things that are preserved in the Byzantine liturgy to this day, when you experience a Byzantine liturgy, a lot of things that we hear, that we we probably just probably figure or interpret as, well, that's just what you do because it's a liturgy, it's holy, it's what he says, like wisdom be attentive and things like that. Those are commands, those are actually, grew out of very practical considerations to kind of restore, keep order in the church and in fact, you'll hear the deacon telling the priest what to do, too. He'll say, Father, do this, Father, do right. that. There's a quite a bit audible. of that.
2: I don't know how much the congregation hears, but there's a lot of that where the deacon is directing and and really being the conductor of the
0: liturgy. Can the deacon give homilies?
2: Yes, which I'm very honored to be able to do at my own parish.
0: <laughs> hard preaching to your own people sometimes. Well,
2: especially in a parish where uh, this doesn't always happen, but this is a parish in which they've seen me grow up, right from the young child to the troublemaking teenager, and then here I am an adult.
0: <laughs> now, as we're telling our audience how much the deacon does at liturgy, at the liturgy and, and worship in the Byzantine church, he's very, very busy. Like I said, he's he's sort of a he's a real taskmaster, the sergeant of arms. At the same time, he's he's sort of like a player coach and he's doing the work as well, doing a lot of going around and sensing giving directions, calling attention. So the question might come up, Well well gee, what does the what does the priest do? Well, what the deacon does allows the priest and this is how the deacons were conceived. Remember in the acts of the apostles, the act grew out of the fact that the priests, you know, the apostles were basically priests at the time and their their disciples, the ones that they laid hands on, were getting too overwhelmed with some of the nuts and bolts of taking care of the Christian community, you know, giving food to poor people and taking care of their widows. And there wasn't quite enough time for them to work in administrating and overseeing and especially in praying and offering the sacrifice in the Eucharist. So what they did was it developed the diaconate out of that to take care of like those sort of nuts and bolts of the ministry of the church. And that's how it is to this day. The priest's job, as it were, if you want to talk about that, It's not really a job, it's really the priest incarnate something. He's up there as a sacramental sign of Christ, the bridegroom, the high priest, and he is very busy in his own way doing what we call the hieratic prayers, the very high, deep involved prayers of the church on behalf of himself and the people. He's sort of the mediator between Christ and the people. At times he is the presence of Christ, the bridegroom, and at sometimes he represents the bride being presented to Christ. We're going to talk more about the diaconate and our ancestry when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loia on Light of the East.
1: Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep light of the East's illumination bright. Listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East, and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... You're listening to... Father Thomas
0: Lawyer on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lowe, your host, and proud to say that on the Sunday of the Patriarchs, the Holy Forefathers of Christ, and as we look towards next Sunday, the Sunday before Christmas, in which we celebrate the lineage of Christ, I am here joined in our Light of the East studios with a member of my own family, Deacon Gregory, and we're talking about the diaconate and also the relationship of the priest to the diaconate and what their roles are and so on. And one of the other things, Gregory, that you were trained or formed in is the deacon also sets about the task of doing other other things in parish life, right? Teaching, right? Organizing things, doing works of charity.
2: Sure. Um, Some of them uh, teach catechism, our, our Eastern Christian Formation program. And we can assist with uh, sick calls, mm-hmm. uh, distributing communion and praying with people to assist the priest, especially at some of the larger parishes where the priest is by himself. That's really a, a large burden taken off of. He doesn't replace the priest, but he assists in doing that.
0: Now, do you also have it where, such as in a Latinite brother and that, let's say in the event that, well, well, Deacons are, should be married, correct? I think they kind of urge that. They don't think they have yes, to be, but they yes, yes, that's be. one
2: why the, they would like to see that.
0: And and they need to be at least a certain age, right? Before I you think begin it was to pray. thirty-five, was the I yeah. Understand. So they want to kind of mature. And you're a working man. In other words, you the church doesn't support you, right?
2: No, they do not.
0: You worked for the church, but they didn't support you financially So you are a father of a family, a large, beautiful family, eight children And because you're a father, you also are a husband So we also have here in our studio, Greg's wife, Kathleen Kathleen, welcome again to Light of Days, glory to Jesus Christ
3: Glory to him forever
0: So Kathleen, you are a wife of a deacon You are a wife of an ordained cleric of a church What is that like? What's that like so far? Because a lot of times in in the diaconate, wherever we have an ordained ministry, such as in the Eastern churches where we have priests who are married, in other words, you have to be careful how we say this, married men can become priests. Priests never marry. Married men can become priests. Same thing with the deacon. The deacon is a married man who can become ordained to what we call major orders, which, of course, is the diaconate. And always there's a question of, and I think, uh, going back to to Deacon Greg here, I think there was a lot in your formation that had to do with the wives, right? Didn't they join you a lot of things? to try to keep the wives in lockstep with you in your formation. Yes, they do. And and the reason, of course, is because the wives share in this ministry, and it's a ministry in which the their their husband, their priest or deacon husband, is called out beyond the family, not against the family, but out and beyond the family. And many times that, that can interfere with some family plans and so on. So what is that like for you, Kate, so far? Have you encountered any of that, or what's it like? Now, you knew Greg for all these years as just as husband and father. and Now you know him as husband, father, and now deacon. So what is that like for you? Is it any difference? Are you experiencing anything different? Did you have any apprehensions when he went into the program?
3: Well, he came to me one day, and he said that he decided that he would like to enter the deacon program. And... I just looked at him and I said, well, it's about time. And he said, well, what do you mean by that? And I just told him, it had been some years before we had uh, been talking to a priest, and he had mentioned to Greg that, you know, if you're ever considering becoming a deacon, don't wait until you're too old, because we don't need old deacons. He goes, we have old priests. And um, Mm -hmm. at that point I thought... I could see Greg as a deacon, and it seemed like a natural progression for him because he was so highly involved in our parish life.
0: Well, that was a very self-giving act on your part, too. Because oftentimes, one of the reasons why they have such a strong inclusion in the programs for the diaconate formation is because oftentimes the wives become very problematic becomes very stressful because the deacons again are called forth and there's no end to how they're going to be called out for the church, the church is just like one almost in has it there's like this insatiable appetite in the church for ministry for people in ministry because the need is so great and there is shortage of people in, in ministry in the church so those that enter into ministry the church are really called upon and perhaps sometimes too much so and so sometimes there were tensions It was though though the husband was being called away from the family and wife. And when you got married, as uh, some deacon wives have told me, some of them even came to me apprehensive when their husband was going to enter the formation program. They said, well, Father, you know, I feel like, you know, I didn't, when we got married, I didn't envision this. I thought that I was enough for him. You know, being a father and a husband is enough for him. It's like, it's almost like like I'm not enough for him, that he wants something beyond me. My answer to them would be, you're right. You're not enough for him. You can't be enough for him, and he can't be enough for you. In other words, his choice is to serve Christ more deeply. And only Christ can really fill our deepest longings and desire. But in moving in the direction of Christ and that longing it's very reflective. It will unite the two of you more closely. It will actually be good for you. There's nothing that Je- Jesus isn't going to call someone to serve him and then have it hurt his family, have that, that man's family and wife. If, you're, if your heart is open to the reality of this ministry and the graces of it, you'll find that the choice for Christ will always mean a choice at the same time, but in a different way for you as a wife and for your family. And once the deacons' wives understand that, and they themselves then have to kind of, in a sense, increase their spirituality, their relationship with Christ as well, to realize that, no, the marriage is not the end of it. Marriage is just a foreshadowing of what will be in heaven. So any choice to, to move in the direction of Christ is a choice in a direction that will ultimately be I call it reflexive. It will, it will, it will help the marriage and the family, provided, of course, that the two are open to that grace and to that understanding. What about the children? How have they been since? Uh, they just like, oh, well, that's dad, my, my my deacon father, or is he? Are they proud? Are they happy about it? Or
3: well, they th- they think it's cool. <laughs> um, Greg was never an altar server as a child, and so when he was going through the program, he decided maybe he should learn to. To do what the kids were doing, so that he would know when he was a deacon if they were doing the right thing, so they had the pleasure of instructing their dad and how to be an altar server and correcting him and uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. and then coming home and and having fun with his mistakes <laughs> <laughs> so they have they're proud of him
0: one of the most touching scenes that I experienced in a while, and many people came up to me and, and mentioned it to me was. During the ceremony in which there was a profession by a new nun in our church, monastic, which I've, I've been talking about in this program, will continue to as well, from our new monastery, Christ the Bridegroom Monastery, out in Burton, Ohio, there was a wonderful scene there where your husband, Deacon Gregory, my brother, was reading the gospel. And all the altar servers who stand around the priest or the deacon who is reading the gospel were Greg's own sons. So I mean, what a wonderful! People said to me, like you know, Father Tom was like, it was like your 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 brother was was reading the Bible to his sons, almost like you were gathered at home, a living room, they were sitting around and reading the Bible, and here he was proclaiming that gospel to the world, to the congregation, but with his sons gathered around him, and serving all. Oh, how many of them, Greg, did serve? Five, six of my boys. Yeah, I'm all six. six of them now. Yeah. <laughs> You've got your own church, right? <laughs> well,
3: a friend of ours said to Greg, he said, "So I just have to have eight kids." And I could have my own mass. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And Greg said, "Well, if you include my brother, we're full service."
0: Yeah, that's right. So that was there. I was, of course, I was there at the altar. There's my brother, Greg, deaconing, and then there's my nephews who are serving. So it was, it was really a, a profound moment for me as well. And I look forward to many, many of those profound moments, as as uncle, as brother, priest, and having my nephews share. In it, while my nieces, of course, are in support, praying and singing, where their role is in the church, of course. It's a very, very vital role. In fact, in, our, in the Eastern churches, our Eastern liturgy, it's really, as important as the priests and the deacon are, as active as they are, especially the deacon, he's very active up there, it is the people who make the liturgy. In fact, liturgy, the word is, means public works, or like works of the public, And this is especially true if you've ever experienced a Byzantine liturgy. One of the most remarkable aspects of a Byzantine liturgy is the singing, the participation of the people. And without that, our liturgy really falls flat. You know, it just isn't quite the same. No matter who's up there as a priest or deacon, it's the people who, in a sense, make the liturgy. So these roles are not defined by just the importance of them just as, as who's at the altar, who's ordained. It's much more integrated than that. All the roles are important in their own unique ways, and the role of the laity is is one of the most, if not the most vital role. in fact, the church, the people of the church can still pray even without a deacon or priest. A big part of the divine office, as it were, the divine praises, especially in the eastern church, can be done without deacons or priests. I'm not minimizing anything i 'm simply ex- trying to trying to correct what sometimes is a perception, and we, we tend to weigh things in a very secular way, like who's doing the most, you know, who's got the power, who's got the prestige, who's up front. And what's really important is what these roles are, how they're all part of the whole mosaic, as it were, of liturgy, and what they reveal. So it's, it's very important to understand these roles.
3: One bit of advice or caution I was given by other wives was, that i would feel terribly alone sitting in the pew and that i would be a pew widow and that they never anticipated this feeling alone and it kind of took me off guard because greg's been the past four years up um, serving either as an altar server now as a deacon and i've never felt that way and i guess it's because i've always felt that prayer is not confined between pews that it's fluid between the altar and the people and that just goes back and forth so I've never felt this aloneness and I don't think deacons wives or priest wives should ever feel that way
0: and there is another very profound reason why you don't feel that way Kathleen I'm going to take that up next time when we continue our talk on Byzantine monasticism thank you brother deacon Gregory and thank you. Kathleen your wife and my sister-in-law for being here on light of the east